out now on Press Gang Records, Buffalo, New York's Wrong the Oppressor Cassette. Ellis Horse, The Project from the Minds of Rob Antonucci, and Ryan Hex Cannabis, available on all streaming platforms. War self-titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com Welcome to episode 76. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. My guest on this episode is Nate Derby. As always, make sure you give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. On all the social medias, I post upcoming episodes as well as anything relevant for current hardcore bands. And then on the Instagram page, I like to post old flyers, any any kind of nostalgic hardcore type stuff. But you'll find upcoming episodes on all the social medias. So make sure you give us a follow. And speaking of upcoming episodes, the next episode features Miles Between Us. Uh, Matt LaForge, Matt Ford, and Adam, a.k.a. Solly, are on that interview. And it's a very hilarious interview. Uh, other upcoming episodes will be Tom Ranger from Syracuse, Building on Fire Part 2, Rory Van Grohl and Benny Beyond will be on together. Uh, we're going to get Alex Yoshi on eventually. We're going to get Patrick Stefano on. I got a ton of guests coming up, so just stay tuned. There's plenty of shows coming up in this area now that everything has opened up and most people feel safe to go to shows. Buffalo and Syracuse have been on point for a while. Rochester's starting to catch up. I even have a show to announce. I'll be announcing that on Sunday, May 1st. The show itself will be Sunday, July 16th at the Bug Jar. My buddy Jared Johnson from Sawyer Collective and I are putting that one on together. So like I said, this is episode 76. My guest is going to be Nate Derby. I'm sure if you're from Rochester, you're familiar with the bands he's been in. A few of them, Such Gold, Heavy Hearted, The Weight We Carry, Holy War. Like I said, just to name a few. The guy's got a pretty good catalog. Uh, he recently relocated to, to uh, Florida. So we'll definitely be talking about that in the interview as well. So with all that being said, let's get to the interview. Now it's gonna be all totally lost. Uh, it's all right. Yeah. So uh, we've had a couple uh, a couple embarrassing technical difficulties on the podcast in the past, and tonight's another one of them where I uh, 
forgot to hit record. So uh, you missed uh, our, 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 our first conversation, I guess. But uh, how's everything going for you tonight, Nate? It's all good. So I was, uh, as I was saying, um, yeah, I've been, been uh, living in Florida for a year now. Met a nice girl, moved in with her uh, last month. Um, so I've been living in St. Petersburg for, um, I guess only a month or so now, but staying busy. It's the end of the night, you know, uh, on a Sunday. So yeah, this is, um, the only day off that I have <laughs> yeah, uh, every week, pretty much her and I both work uh, six days a week at this point. Um, you know, cause you kind of have to do that to <laughs> afford anything these days. Right. So Sunday is always, um, it's not as relaxing as you like. It's filled with projects and all kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, you know, just, I've already had a few beers and I'm ready to, that, that's what I need to kind of get loose and get into it anyways. So there's no way that I could have done it sober. <laughs> I don't like doing an interview or, you know, anything like that sober. It's, it's not as much fun. So yeah, we all have to unwind, especially on a Sunday night. I know how that is. Exactly. Exactly. Uh... Yeah, no, we took the kids to this like Lego convention thing in Rochester today, so we kept busy. I saw that. That looks like a lot of fun. That would I would have liked that. Where was that at? I was at the Armory. So my son. Oh, for, I yeah, I used to live right on. I had an apartment right on Prince Street, like right around the corner there. That was um, probably the second apartment I had in Rochester um, before uh, we had bought a house uh, on Culver, which really wasn't that far from the Armory, anyways. Um, but all that seems <laughs> very far away at this point, you know, obviously I'm at the beach right now, as you can see, um, you know, we just live that Island boy lifestyle down here exclusively. <laughs> so, yeah, I actually yeah. listened to the Island boys on a Steve-O podcast recently and oh shit, and yeah, it's kind of what I said halfway through the interview. And I kind of stopped about that point. I was like, man, yeah, how did I make yeah. it this far? Type yeah. Thing. Your brain starts to go numb yeah. at, at some point. I'm sure those guys are. That's um, East Coast, Florida. We don't really talk to those people. We don't really know those people. We don't fuck with those people. We got our own thing going on over here on the West Coast. So <laughs> I'm guessing yeah. the people on the East Florida don't fuck with them that much either. Right? Uh, nah. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Yeah. So I think uh, actually uh, uh, Laura um, Jane Grace had a cameo from them. She announced their tour with the island boys <laughs> which is pretty funny and oddly enough not a single fucking florida show on that tour which i'm really upset about so i think she just came here and i did miss it but i was upset that you know uh she's coming with touring with tim cash or whatever so we've, we've anyway we've talked about it in depth on the podcast before but mm -hmm. i always take this moment to mention that in 1999 against me played in my basement uh when they were like the band that had like the buckets for drums or whatever so, that's so crazy man yeah um but yeah i guess we'll kind of jump back pretty far speaking of which uh, i yeah. like to kind of do a timeline for the interview so let's kind of jump mm -hmm. back with you and kind of talk about your upbringing first yeah so i grew up in canandaigua new york um farmington and canandaigua but you know most of my formative like i don't know well i was gonna say most of my formative like punk rock years would have been canandaigua but um you know i remember living in farmington and that's where I got my first guitar. You know, I probably had my like 11th birthday and I got a Yamaha, you know, Strat copy black with a white pick guard, the three single coil pickups um, for my 11th birthday. And I think my buddy, one of my oldest friends who I'm still good friends with today, we still once in a while we play, you know, Red Dead online or whatever together. My friend Mark, um, you know, him and his 
sister like played instruments like he played guitar and we were both kind of into music and stuff so uh, she actually his sister played drums um and they were in a band she was in a band called sarah's locker which had two guys from a kenandagua band called over the they they eventually went on to be in this band over the line and then that band turned into a band called norell which was around for like another couple years or whatever uh they they i'm getting i'm already gonna get off topic because i'm just kind of i'm gonna just you know spiral for a little bit think about like musical upbringing and whatnot but those guys i think made their first record with jake rodenhouse um and what the fuck is the other guy's name they had the studio on main street in canada with dave drago oh yeah hopewell you're talking about hopewell yeah. so yeah like i used to um long story short you know like i kind of stayed in touch with you know, Aaron, who was in Sarah's locker and uh, that eventually became over the line. And like, you know, uh, we became, uh, you know, we kind of stayed friends. We were still kind of only a couple of years apart in high school and whatnot. Um, you know, I just, whatever, I followed like all these kind of local bands. I always like was fascinated by guys in local bands, you know, um, hanging out, being part of the show. And I wasn't at this point, you know, I'm talking, I'm already, yeah, again, I'm spiraling a little bit, but like getting into like uh, high school and stuff. Um, you know, we, I'd kind of hang out with the older kids. Uh, I would be maybe a freshman or a, a sophomore and all my friends uh, who were in bands or into cool music, they were all seniors, you know, so they could drive, they had cars, they had licenses um we would go to man we would go to buffalo we'd go to like i think it was the icon or fuck it was the theater it was a theater it was, a, it was like an old movie theater kind of thing where it was very like slanted down to the front um show place like, show place theater. the show place yeah the show place theater we'd go there fuck i saw like fallout boy on one of their like first you know take this to your grave tours um they would they these these guys these people i hung out with in in high school they would take me to ithaca to see shows because there was a much bigger like punk scene down there and i saw a marathon a couple that was the first couple times i ever saw marathon you know which is like man that was the band who really um you know i had been playing guitar for three or four years and whatever but that was the band who really like fuck man like i want to do this like whatever this is you know that was the the biggest band like you know that i could imagine you know <laughs> like local band um you know i loved every one of their songs i loved everything that they were doing um nate you know natmo was from canandaigua so i felt that connection there um and yeah like anytime that that band would play um i just became obsessed with them you know i booked them at all things art in canandaigua <laughs> once <laughs> um I had a band, uh, my first band called Fantasy Controller, and uh, we had a keyboard player, and uh, <laughs> we used to play all things art all the time. And I think, I think it was a Fantasy Controller, like one year fucking anniversary show or something like that, but. I booked marathon like at the end of a tour, a small tour or something, um, you know, and I remember having to play <laughs> after marathon had played 
at all things art. And uh, it was an absolutely ridiculous one. I can't imagine the perspective of like those guys being in that band, having to like even be in the same. I hope they didn't watch any of it. I hope that they were in the fucking their van the whole time or something like because it was just that bad. But spent a lot of time at all things art. Um, that was the only place really locally in Canandaigua where there was any shows happening. Um, you know, like I said, otherwise I would be hanging out with the older kids and we would, they would drive to, you know, we would drive to Rochester, we'd drive to Ithaca, whatever. Um, maybe Syracuse once in a while, we'd go to Lost Horizon for something years, years and years ago. Buffalo, like I said, uh, we'd go to the show place. You know, so I was exposed like at that, like 14, 15, very heavily into like, local music and kind of discovering all the cool bands from rochester i mean i remember you know um achilles was a band at the time um tamaroff was still a band they were playing you know hue of two was still a band you know um those are i didn't see a lot of stuff in rochester though because we didn't get up there too often it was a good you know 25 30 miles really from where i grew up so it was not easy until i had my own my own vehicle and whatnot Definitely spent a lot of time being exposed to these like cool local musicians. And that's what eventually, you know, got me more and more into wanting to play music and wanting to write music. And, you know, I was in that fantasy controller band for a while. And then I joined um, a band called Her Name is June, which um, was Ben Mori. I don't know if you if you know Ben Mori at all, uh, but he he's it's funny. Uh, you know he he'd actually probably be a good interview, but he's not part of the heart. He's never been part of the hardcore scene, other than maybe this one band that we were in, which was like kind of a screamoy band or whatever. Um, but he runs the I think it's called like the Submarine um, Music School or something. It's in Rochester. Basically, him and his wife started a, a cool music school in Rochester, like a very independent thing. And we were in that band. Her name is June together. And uh, yeah, we, I'm trying to, sorry, I'm trying to like, these are all a lot of memories I haven't really thought about in a long time. So <laughs> bringing up, I'm sure you get that consistently. Um, but yeah, trying to drudge up a lot of stuff here. Now, that's yeah. something I say when I, when I do these interviews, I preface and say like, I know we're going back kind of far. So, you know, I understand if you don't remember a lot of stuff, but one thing I'm curious yeah. about too, though, is you were talking about Canandaigua and you mentioned yeah, like for people that aren't familiar, that's kind of like 30 miles East of Rochester. Mm -hmm. were you like you mentioned book and marathon like were you kind of building like a separate scene there like locally or did you yeah that's worth that's worth mentioning so i definitely um i was on the censor board you know so i the yellow board so i was exposed to you know people like yourself and people like uh john 25 and i just thought it was so cool the idea of booking shows, you know, locally in my hometown, you know, I, okay. I couldn't do what the Rochester guys were doing because I, I didn't know anybody up there. I couldn't even fucking drive there. You know, I had nothing. Uh, I had no way to get there. So um, that's like, you know, that all things art place was like a perfect location, um, you know, for Canandaigua to, to do just like whatever independent stuff. We actually had a pretty good, draw from just the finger lakes in general like not necessarily rochester you know because why would people from rochester like drive all the fucking way there but if you lived in like clifton springs or phelps or middlesex or like penyan or whatever like you know and you wanted to go see live music i mean those places are the middle of fucking nowhere man like so you know you have 
you really have to like to see like punk rock or screamo or whatever the hell we were doing you know hardcore you'd have to drive you know from you know yeah from geneva or whatever where there was stuff in you'd have to go to geneva or canada basically so like all things art was a good bastion for that where i made a lot of friends and a lot of connections with like the outlier finger lakes kids who lived in like these random like grew up in the country you know um and i really wanted to bring everyone together and start you know just putting on shows with local bands and then eventually it got to a point where i was like well i want to bring cool rochester bands down here and kind of show them what the finger lake scene is like and um and then i was really just booking my favorite bands <laughs> you know <laughs> like i just wanted to book shit like marathon i just wanted like that's that was that was my favorite band uh really at the time so uh, i was i'd have to really think of i haven't thought about like all the shows that i've booked in so long so i couldn't even really come up with a list or even you know that that would that's just buried so deep some, somewhere um but yeah i it's it's uh i was definitely trying to do my own thing down there i was trying to replicate like what rochester had in terms of like the diy scene but bring it into that into a place that i could have a bit of influence on or a little bit of control until you know i was old enough or whatever to like move up to the big city and like do my own thing up there which um shit i don't even i mean i might have booked a couple shows in rochester um <laughs> Yeah, actually, I booked the progress at a, somebody's like basement in Henrietta, like some RIT student. That was like the only show I ever did in Rochester at like that age, maybe 15 or so. I think I paid that band like $30 <laughs> or something, which is insane to think about in retrospect. But um, yeah, it was it was just tough breaking out into uh, anywhere outside of Canadagua at my age, just because like at, at that age, because uh, I, didn't, I didn't really know anybody yet and i was just a little too young um but i did make good connections through the through the sensor board and be so do you remember when bane played at all things art yeah uh, yeah so the only thing that i had to do with that so i, I remember being on the board and like or, or talking to john or something because john had a store in canandaigua for a little while he had that. Yeah. yeah right so he had like his little organic food store like right behind main street kind of near the salvation army there um and so i would go in all the time and just you know pick his brain and stuff um but i remember at some point when he said that yeah man or whatever like bane you know i got i got bane booked in rochester or whatever we're looking for a venue i don't know either way i was like all things are like i could get it i i'm your connect i'm your guy like i've got the i can talk to the people you know so normally with all things art shows actually thinking about this in retrospect is pretty shitty um you know they were an independent um business you know so they had to make money the way they could it was an art gallery for christ's sake but they used to take a pretty hefty percentage of the door for most of the like the local shows that we did and i came to them and i said hey there's this big national hardcore band like a metal band that needs a venue for a show and i've got a guy who's you know he's the promoter i'm really just a liaison trying to get the venue like can we do the show here is the state open 
And here's a couple stipulations. And I'm like fifth, maybe 14 or 15 or something like that. I was like a, just a child at this point and like trying to like negotiate this deal. And I believe it or not, we made it happen where I went to them. I said, Hey, like, you know, the people that ran uh, all things are, we can't, I was like, we can't do this. You know, it was like a 50% door split. <laughs> I was like, we're not doing that. This is, this show is going to take in a lot of money. The band needs a guarantee. You know, uh, I'm not the promoter. Like they, you know, there's, there's expenses to be covered. Also, you're going to need to hire security, you know? So like, we'll pay for that, you know, but you need to find like a, a, a flat rate that we're going to pay you for this show. And they agreed to it. I don't know. It might've been a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. I just said like, look, you're, it's going to be a great show. And you're not like, we want to do it here, but you can't take most of you know, half of the money from the door. Like, you know, that's just not how this is going to go. And they agreed to it, man. It was a fucking crazy show at the end of the day. Like Bane, I think Silent Silent Drive too was on that tour. I don't, I and honestly, after that, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe there was locals, maybe there was another touring band. Do you remember it all? I think With Honor was on that tour too, because I used to be friends oh, with dudes. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to that show, but I remember mm-hmm. uh, side note that I was I had I had been booking a lot of shows like a year before that. And I mm-hmm. that was like right when I stopped booking shows for a few various reasons. And that's like the first big show that. I'm not going to mention the booking agent's name, but I uh, said no. Uh, no, 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 like the, the, the okay. we're booking, booking like tours, like the, the booking, oh, okay, you know, oh, I, booking agents. Sorry, yeah, I got offered the lot, show. And I was like, promoters. yeah, I'm not doing shows anymore. And like a year mm. later, when I like went back to that dude with my tablet between my legs, I've never heard back from that dude since. I'll mention his name to you off air afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it was just one of those yeah, things yeah. where I was like, man, I wish I wouldn't have told that dude that. But I was just kind of going through a couple of years there. I was like, I don't really want to book any more shows. Yeah. You know. And, you know but it's good. It's good. I always thought it was kind of a random, cool, random side note that Bane ended up playing in Canandaigua, though, of all places. You know? It's it's a it's a very it's definitely a moment where I, you know, like um, I look. Uh, yeah, I look back very fondly on that. That was very cool because uh, that was at that time, at that age, that's that's really when I had discovered hardcore. You know, it was like Marathon had brought me into that world. And, you know, I, I really kind of grew up kind of getting back into the upbringing stuff. As far as you want to get specific about what I was listening to, you know, I got really into like the Punkarama compilation specifically three, I think three and four. And I had, I had the first two as well, but, but I think Punkarama, whatever the one was with the kid with the black eye might've been three. It might've been four. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But like, that was a huge influential like that comp i was never i was more of an epitaph guy i never got into fat music for fat people i was never i never got into fat records until really i was in my 20s like it's kind of a weird thing where i wasn't exposed to it i was only exposed to epitaph bands and equal vision and stuff like that saves a day like when i kind of going back to talking about when i was hanging out with like the sarah's locker band in their garage like down the street from me growing up you know, they were listening to, <laughs> they were listening to Shoe Pillow, uh, which do you remember Shoe Pillow, which is another Nate Morris band. Um, I actually have, I have the fucking CD right here. <laughs> I literally have it right here. It's the Shoe Pillow if, CD. I don't remember. I can't see the cover. Yeah. Well. I can't yeah. remember. Vinny, Vinny, either Vinnie Minervino awesome. played in that band or put the CD out. I don't see him on the cover, so he must have put that CD no, out. No, I think he helped put it out. Yeah, he was definitely but... involved with that. Or, I'm sorry, Vincent Minervino, too, not Vinny anymore. Vin, but... Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, he's always Vinny to me. So yeah. that's funny, too. That's another Canandaigua specific guy. Yeah. Um, 
that has gone. Have you, have you done a podcast with him? No, he's definitely someone I'd like to get on here eventually. There's a lot of people. Yeah, like, I think that's a good move. You know, yeah. yeah. I think that makes sense. There's a lot of people from that era. Uh, you mentioned the censor board. I had Tom Bowman on here like uh, a couple months back. So. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I, I love Tom. He's done a couple tattoos on me. Um, he's fucking big time now, man. I don't know. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Yeah. But um, he is anyway. So, yeah, I just happened to have this. I just went through like that's a lot funny. of my CDs. I'm going to get rid of a bunch of stuff. But I have a pile of Rochester specific CDs that. I'm going to just like put on Instagram and, and I think I'm just going to try and sell to somebody for like 10 bucks, you know, or whatever. Like just, just cause I know somebody wants all this shit. Like I get the pistol buckets demo on CD, you know, just like random shit that is cool. Like, man, I don't have the fucking room for any of this. <laughs> Literally like, you know, all these houses here, like this house is so small and it's great. And I love it because I know my girlfriend can hear me and is listening. Um, so, <laughs> but there's no room for anything. I can't have, cds from a from bands i'll never fucking listening to again (laughs) you know it's just not gonna work but um yeah so anyways like saves a day through being cool you know and and that's what i was introduced to um you know a lot of that that like cool equal vision shit from that era and weezer you know i mean weezer was like my favorite band in middle school along with like saves a day and whatnot so i don't know so i grew up on like what i would assume for most like punk rock people who are 33 around you know i'm 30 i'm about to be 34 this year so around my age you probably grew up with about the same shit you know um not a whole lot of like west coast fast punk you know until i didn't really realize what like the fast beat was you know that that until way later in life surprisingly you know even though like saves the day had that and obviously a lot of the bands you know that uh that were on the uh, epitaph comps had, you know, were, were no effects, obviously, and fucking like, I don't know, straight faced and shit like that. Again, digging up a lot of old shit that I haven't even really listened to in a long time. Anyways, trying to figure out uh, what my biggest influences were, but. Well, I'm sure we'll get more into this later too, but you talking about like the epitaph comps and whatnot makes me yeah. think like all the crazy like festivals you guys have probably played over the years. Mm. Uh, like, do you ever sit there and like look at some of these bands and just be like, man, you know, like it's just so crazy, like having such a bird's eye view of all this shit now type thing? Yeah. So obviously growing up, seeing, you know, local bands play and being kind of in- engaged and enamored with the performance, you know, I was always um, interested in just watching bands perform. I remember like a big mosher. I like to watch bands play. Um, and then being able to be in many bands and replicate that, you know, replicate that feeling and then actually realize how good that feels, not just to watch that, but to be on the other side, actually performing. And the, the more that we got, you know, such gold got to do, um, and you know, all the bands that I was like that, you know, like if you heavy hearted and, and uh, yeah, I really heavy hearted kind of evolved into such gold and then we got to obviously do a lot from from that band but um trying to always watch what the next level was like what does it look like to be you know the next level of performer from where we are currently and the biggest one would be you know fucking watching like slayer or something or metallica at you know this massive festival and we did get to do that you know um which is very cool but realizing obviously at the same time that that's never going to be us so there's always a fascination with like 
man, how does it, how does a band like this, or how does a band uh, become such an entity where you have all this crew and production and, you know, just a team, a, 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 such a massive team of people just to put on a show. And the most that we ever really did was, you know, we would have, we were we played these big festivals and stuff in front of a couple thousand people. But, you know, we're not bringing production. We're not bringing a sound guy. We're not bringing a lighting guy. There's just the house guys, whoever's running, you know, the people for that stage. And I think at one point we made a 10 by 10 banner and most of the fucking venues we played by the time we made it weren't even big enough to hang the goddamn thing. <laughs> you know? And then at a lot of these festivals, we aren't even, it's like, there's just no time to hang the thing. He's like, you're still kind of a nobody anyways. It's like the production staff is going to be like, no, nah, man, we're not hanging your fucking banner or <laughs> whatever. Like, it's just, this is nah. it's going to waste of time. We're like, cool, whatever, man. Thanks. You know, but, um, so it just always fascinated me watching these bands perform, any band perform at like whatever the next level of us was. Um, and I just always, even, you know, now today, especially the older that I get and, you know, the more I've evolved as a musician, um, there's nothing I love more than, you know, um, just watching a band perform and, and being able to internalize it in a way of like, I don't get to do that a lot anymore just with where I'm at in my life. But, um, but I look at, it, I'm like, I can do that first of all, cause I've done it, but also what are the things that this band or that band is doing that my band probably never will, you know, like, uh, having a lighting guy, having a sound guy and all this stuff, you know, and I, I just appreciate that. Um, most such gold ever did we we've started buying some lights and whatnot a little like uh, i think you call it whatever dmx is the type of cable or something um well controller like dmx controller i think it's D, yeah i think i think that's the acronym or i'm just thinking about the wrapper um but yeah we brought we bought some some lights at one point and smoke a fucking we had a we had a fog machine i don't know where the, i don't even know where it is at this point I think it's in Ben's basement in Rochester, actually. Now that I think about it, but yeah, we had, we had our own fog and lights at some point and that, and it wasn't like a crazy light show. It was just like, we would be able to control the ambiance in a way where like, it would be, you know, I could press a button and we'd have like, it'd just be like orange and blue or something. It'd just be, you know, and like for this group of four songs that we're going to play, that would be the color scheme with, you know, every periodically I'd maybe press a button with my foot and the fog machine would go off. And it was through watching bands at a higher level that we discovered that just by doing that little extra bit, like having just a little bit of lights and a little bit of fog, you really could command the room more so than just walking up on stage and letting the house guy do his thing. You know? So when we started becoming more of a like quote unquote headliner, we, wanted to try that was our way of being like all right well we're going to put on the best show we can being like a punk band with zero resources <laughs> you know with very little money and very little resources you know we bought all that shit with my guitar center discount you know and probably not even the band's bank account but the band's credit card i'm sure you know uh just to put it on something and kind of thinking back to being you know a young guy and and being in these like you know, whatever your first couple local bands and stuff and watching these local bands. play. it's crazy to think about how the, 
the progression that, you know, I've been able to, I was lucky enough to be able to take, and I worked very hard to be able to take that, you know, uh, go through that progression of, yeah, just playing in a band called fantasy controller to, you know, playing on a stage in fucking Belgium or whatever, like in front of 3000 people or who, however many who um, walked into that tent to see my band, you know, uh, those are some pretty crazy moments. And I miss a lot of that. You know, I spent my, most of my twenties doing that. And it took a lot of, took a lot of toll, <laughs> like physically and mentally and financially, and basically in every aspect of one's life, you know, I got to do a, a lot of cool shit that I would never give back for the world. But yeah, it took a lot. I mean, relationships. Yeah. Just physically too. Like my, I'm ba- I'm basically right now trying to like fix my body from the many, many, many years of touring. So, um, <laughs> you know, having a physical, I have a personal trainer, like who I work with like three to four days a week. Uh, I've been working with them since August and I go to physical therapy. Like I'm spending a lot of money right now uh, to try and fix the things that I think that uh, toured touring did to me, but also I, I allowed to happen to myself just from not really taking the best care of myself. So I'm kind of, um, you know, using this opportunity of like this big life change that I've had moving down here to fix all of that shit. Um, because I do hope, you know, to, for such gold to stay relevant enough to continue playing these like big festivals a few times a year or something and continue to, in many ways, like up our ability to perform, like maintaining our ability to perform even, you know, well into hopefully our forties and fifties or whatever. Like, you know, I look at, obviously we're not fucking descendants. Let's, you know, uh, yeah, obviously. So, (laughs) but I look at those guys and I say, man, like, it's crazy uh, watching them do what they do, you know, at, at their age. And I hope to be able to do the same thing. And I think that such gold, if we do the right things, can potentially stay a band who is um, both is relevant, you know, throughout our, our lives. Like I don't really ever see us breaking up or anything. I think that we could just continue to put out music indefinitely. So I'm hoping, and, 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 you know, kind of be a vacation rock band. We see a lot of our contemporaries, like bands, like uh, I always looked at like bands, like no trigger as a band, like as a great example of like a vacation rock band um tour maybe like three weeks out of the year or four weeks out of the year and you know it's most of the time they're in fucking europe which is and playing a festival or some shit and that's the absolute best way to do it you just kind of go and you go see all your friends and you get paid way too much money and you fucking eat the best food and you drink the best drink and you know you get to be in europe somewhere and maybe have a couple days off you do something fun and you fuck off and then you go home and you go back to your real job you know but that's kind of what those guys do and we just kind of uh, hoped that such gold would have that same model. And I think that if we do the right things that we can kind of stay on that and still stay like an active DIY punk band. So when I was prepping kind of circling back in the timeline, when I was prepping to do this, uh, like I said, I kind of came up that you ran like a record label like 15 or so years ago. Cause I guess, cause when I saw that, I was like, I thought yeah. I remembered you kind of helping put out a heavy hearted CD too, like one of their, their early like EPs or whatever too. Right. Yeah, so I think it was, I think uh, Farewell Party 
or is this the only one that I can think of? So um, it was me and Kyle Chapman, um, who Kyle and I grew up in Canandaigua together. We were in Fantasy Controller together. He was the drummer. He was in Her Name is June for a little while. Uh, he was <laughs> playing keyboards. Actually, he had a guitar specifically. Me and Chris Pogue and Kyle and I think Devin uh, Hubbard, who was in Heavy Hearted and Such Gold, had a band called Words We Spoke, which is a very short-lived like Rochester hardcore band that I don't think I have even a single song from anywhere. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's how just lost to the ether. I'm sure maybe Chris has some. But anyways, Kyle and I were long friends. We, we were in multiple bands together. And I think, you know, we just loved the idea of kind of starting a record label. You know, like when you're young and you see all this cool shit happening and you, you know, have some resources, you know, you, you work a little bit. Um, you're like, oh, I could fucking throw a couple hundred bucks. At, oh, I know this website. I can get CDs printed for really cheap. I bet we could you know, make a, I could make a website. I used to do a lot of HTML. Oh, you know, whatever. I'll make a website and fuck man, we're a record label now. So sure enough, um, you know, Kyle and I started farewell party, which I think is actually named off of a planes mistaken for stars song or lyric from up in them guts. It was like, this is the last farewell party. I think is, was the, was the line in one of the songs. And I think all we ever ended up doing was, uh, I think Overcast, the Heavy Hearted record, that came out. Uh, I have the CD. I don't have the CD in the pile next to me. It's actually on the uh, on the shelf. But um, Detonate Records or something like that, I think, out of Connecticut. But Farewell Party did um, a Heavy Hearted 7-inch because we were just obsessed with putting out. We were like, uh, we just want to put out. A, a vinyl record you know anything and just like have have gone through that experience of like doing the artwork and talking to the pressing plant and paying the money and putting your your you know your record label's name and the number on some kind of piece of vinyl so we did the heavy hearted seven inch we did like you know way too many fucking colors of which is what you do so like, i still have i have i only have one like box of seven inches left and i i don't know probably 10 percent of it is like heavy-hearted records <laughs> i think i think maybe actually i think I, I've, before i left rochester i think i took a bunch to to fucking needle drop and i just said hey man uh just have can you just take this can you just get this shit out of my face like i don't even want any money for it don't give me any store credit like do you just sell i don't know if you can sell these sell these otherwise throw them in the trash but here they are like i don't know what to do with them um so that's basically the only one of the only things i think we ever did with farewell party fuck we might have made like i think we might have made a couple hoodies just for ourselves and we were, we were just like screwing around but uh i never continued pursuing it um for whatever reason but kyle ended up doing i think he had i think he maybe kept doing it and then had it under a different name but then eventually he did that uh secret audio club where he did the wax packs. Do you did you get any of those? I don't think so, no. Okay, so he did this series. So he was like really into collecting like baseball cards and stuff. And he noticed how, you know, yeah, it was kind of like whatever magic cards or baseball cards, you go get like a like a booster pack or some shit, right? And you'd open it up and it would be, you know, 
this like super rare thing and it would be you know uh, a, a more uncommon thing and then the rest would be like more common baseball cards or magic cards or whatever we kind of took he kind of took that idea and brought it into vinyl and he he got like 30 bands together and marathon and fire when ready actually have a seven inch together it's like i think two songs on each side I think one of the marathon ones is like an unreleased live one or some shit um you know and he did all kinds of crazy colors for him and all kinds of shit and i still i have a couple of them he did one with such gold and this band placeholder who was out of like lancaster pa yeah you would get a box of like i don't know fucking five or six or something and it would have one like ultra rare color out of like you know whatever five or some crazy shit and then you'd have some other like more rare you know rare thing and then the rest would be more like common um but it was a it was a really cool idea and i helped him you know i it wasn't like so obviously such gold was involved and you know we had a song um and i i wasn't involved with the record label anymore but i did go over to his house and like help him build them so we would he'd be like all right here's the method so you grab one of the super rare ones randomly from this pile and then you grab you know a less rare one from this pile and then you put just grab random shit from the other piles and you put it in a fucking box and that's the wax pack and it was it was it was cool it was it was a cool idea so actually if you're interested in getting some you could probably go to needle drop and russ i literally left him like 15 of them or something so if you go and he still has any i'm sure he probably would just give one to you <laughs> like the whole fucking box because unless he threw them out but i don't know russ to just throw out vinyl so um so that's really it man we never you know like other than doing the heavy hearted seven inch and like i don't even know maybe some other thing that's all that i can recall being involved in with that label um i don't think i'd want to rec- start a record label if you put a gun to my head honestly like most of the stuff left in the music industry to do i look at now because i've done all of it it seems like in many ways um you know i tried to be a booking agent i've fucking i've booked shows i've been <laughs> i've tried to do a record label i've been in bands like most of it i'm like no nah, like i don't want to fucking do this ever again <laughs> you know booking shows is fun i could do that like once in a while i would i actually would like to do that here um there's no reason i couldn't i know every fucking aspect of it in and out top to bottom so um that wouldn't be an issue and i i do enjoy i i, I thrive in that environment as being like a production manager so i i could do that but everything else like which is mostly office work you know kind of booking agent this and that like it's just too much fucking grinding and schmoozing and kissing ass and like getting lucky also um that i don't know i don't want any part of that shit so no more record labels for me it seems like you'd have to have a lot of patience to be a booking agent right now with the way the last couple years have gone and like who knows how the next couple years are gonna go type thing yeah i can't imagine i don't just i'm trying to think to such gold no as of right now we actually don't have a a booking agent for us and canada because right when COVID happened 2019 um we got a new booking agent this girl uh sarah she i think worked for the agency group um in out of toronto the toronto office and then the agency group they uh, worldwide they like broke up and 
turned into UTA and a lot of people left and they went to start their own things. They went to work at different uh, booking agencies. Well, Sarah went to uh, a Canadian agency called Packin, And I think uh, like the only other reference point that I can remember is I think maybe Adam Kreeft who books Wilhelm Scream uh, maybe went to Packin too. Either way, um, we signed on with her I think it was, you know, late 2018 or early, or sorry, late, you know, late 2019, uh, early 2020. We did a couple things with her. The shows were good. You know, the money was good. She was getting good money for us. We were still staying pretty relevant as a band. You know, well, we're working on this new record, blah, blah, blah. You know, we're kind of still on the heel, like trying to milk the teat of, the EP that we put out plus all the our or old shit. And she had in 2020 from like March to June. I mean, we had thousands of dollars worth of shows lined up, you know, like cool. Uh, hey, does your, does such gold want to headline this like local festival in fucking Chicago or something for a thousand bucks? Yup. <laughs> you know, we'll do that. We'll do a couple shows in and out yeah man whatever like five days and we'll, we'll band you know we won't make any fucking money but the band as a business you know we put it in the bank and we pay the bills and whatever the band will make a few grand and that's nice um yeah we had like uh, we, we were going to make enough money <clears throat> in 2020 in the first quarter of 2020 to like pay off all of our debt like all of our credit card debt and like any merch debt that we had um through because of sarah because she she had so much cool shit lined up for us and then COVID happened (laughs) and like fuck man we had a tour we were gonna do like two weeks or more i don't remember it was a couple weeks in the northeast and canada with good riddance and we were gonna provide um all the backline because you know they're from california and shit so they weren't going to drive across Cali with all their shit um, just to play like two weeks worth of shows or whatever it was. Um, and that got fucking canceled. I don't even think, and I don't think that tour ever got rescheduled. It might be happening this year. Cause it was kind of around who's fest in Montreal. Um, but yeah, man, my, the, the point being like, we had tons of shit lined up and COVID fucking through, the wrench and all of it. I, it. It meant that we couldn't continue working on the record because, you know, we had two guys in Rochester and two guys in New York and New York city was, um, you know, a hell. <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a, a fucking, uh, it was so, so crazily disease ridden for most of 2020. We were like, I'm not, I was, you know, I'm like, I'm going to fucking go to New York city, um, to do anything, but Eventually, we did some more work on the record, and you know, COVID, COVID, like you know, long story short, you know, at, at most bands can say COVID was uh, very detrimental to them, you know, like in any aspect of <laughs> everyone's lives, it sucks. Um, you know, has been has been shitty, um, but yeah, we it was a big bummer for for the band, I think for such gold is, you know, at least how the perspective that I have of it, because we were going to kind of give one last like big push, you know, like one big, all right, we're going to fucking, 
put out this new record and we're going to, you know, make the right moves uh, with the right shows and the right tours and the right festivals and this, and we're going to be relevant again, you know, in terms of like being back up on the level of a lot of the contemporaries that we saw that kind of came up while we were stagnating in a little bit, you know, we, we kind of hit this point maybe in like 2013, 2012 and 13, where we were really on the rise and then kind of stayed there. And then we put out the new sidewalk in 2014, and you know that record was way more skate punky like kind of in the in the influences that we had gathered over the last those several years before um and it the record label didn't know what to do with it they didn't do the right advertising they we weren't able to really get on any of the right tours we literally lost our entire um staff N- not staff but our entire team our booking agent our uh, manager, the label dropped us. I mean, you know, in 2015, like everything fucking went to shit. We still pushed and pushed and pushed for four years, trying to like rebuild after that, you know, having self-managing and um, having a, a new booking agent uh, who was Jonathan Knight. He was the, I think he played bass in Red City Radio. Uh, for most, I think he was a founding member. He's not with the band anymore. Uh, he was our booking agent for a while while we tried to rebuild. And so my point being, you know, 2020 was going to be like, fuck yeah, man. Like we got, we got, a, we got a great team behind us. We got a new record label. We got a new booking agent. We don't really need a manager right now. We're kind of doing things on our own. We got all these great shows and opportunities lined up, man. When the fucking record comes out at the end of the year, it's going to be huge, you know, and uh we're back to doing you know back to making money again back to being able to be a sustainable business and like maybe sustain um you know hey maybe going back to getting actually the band being able to pay us a little bit of money at the end of a tour or during a tour and just be a little more comfortable like we were when we were kind of that misadventures period when that record came out 2012 2013 and it just never happened because we'd never got to finish the record that year we never got to play any more shows that year and we didn't play a show like we were on tour when like COVID kind of first was like hitting the States and didn't really think anything of it. But then, so, you know, obviously it just all happened so fast. Um, we didn't end up playing a show for a year and a half, which like from a band that used to tour at our at our height, you know, five months or more out of the year you know to being like oh i literally haven't got on stage and played a show in a fucking year and a half like that's very bizarre it put a huge we were able to it it put a huge blockade on things and we were able to sit back and i think kind of reevaluate a lot of what you know we were doing in our lives and how the pandemic had affected us over 2020 and and into 2021 and whatnot you know i wrote a lot of music during that time uh that we haven't even touched yet um a lot of what we've been doing for what we initially had done in 2019 and late 2020 for and actually we did some studio time in early 2020 before the pandemic and before that tour uh so i think february of that year a lot of the material that we did in that time i i actually don't think it's going to make the record at this point because we've spent so much time in 2021 writing even more material that seems more appropriate 
to release that we're more stoked on. So there's, there's stuff that, uh, so like, you know, I, I guess, you know, having the time off has been good because we've been able to reassess and, um, I, obviously I moved across the country and so that's a big deal. And, you know, we had all this extra time to really work on new, you know, more new material and, and see if it was going to work for this record. And, um, it's going to end up being, it's going it, to, I don't know. It's just kind of like interesting seeing the complete catastrophe of how things did end up turning out. Um, but then also interesting to see where, where we've ended up with uh, the band at this point, which is like still in like a weird stagnation period, but we're doing our best to try and get this fucking record out and like try and use this new, like this third batch, the third wave of new material for this record um as the final like all right like we got to put something out so like we got to keep moving forward you kind of alluded to and i know we've already talked about such gold quite a bit and i was already kind of thinking about like in the pregame in my head that we this probably would kind of turn into a such gold interview anyways um but you kind of referenced this in the beginning though with with heavy hearted how that kind of morphed into such gold can you kind of talk about that a little bit and and like your time in heavy hearted too yeah so uh growing up in canandaigua um i had a like my parents place was maybe like five minutes from brent davis's grandparents place it was like basically like there was my place and then some land and then like the dump uh and then like the next road over at the end of the dump um like his parents had a house like right across the street so it was like a five minute drive around the corner essentially and it was really easy for us to uh for, for it was like a it was a really convenient choice for me to join the band when I was asked because it was like, I was living at home. It was practice was five minutes down the road and I had experience in playing in hardcore bands. And when I first heard heavy hearted, um, you know, having been in a band with Devin and uh, Pogue, obviously I was stoked like, fuck man, these songs are awesome. This is like very relevant material to, you know, what was cool at the, what made, you know, like bands like verse and have hard and fucking, you know, uh, Jesus, um, the carrier and stuff like that, that, you know, um, I was super stoked for them. I actually made a MySpace page. If I'm not, I think I, think I made a MySpace page for them. I used to do that a lot <laughs> I used to admit, back when MySpace design was a thing, but you know, I was, I was stoked on the band, like, um, stoked that Kevin was, was in the band. Fuck yeah. Jesse, you know, heavy hearted, uh, sorry, uh, buried alive. Um, and blah, blah, blah. Fucking, you know, I think I moved home from Canada from being in school in Toronto and I was 20 and, and they asked me to be in the band because Kevin left to join hit the lights. And that was a big, that's big shoes to fill. You know, I didn't really have a lot of, I was a good guitar player and a good songwriter. Um, they obviously recognize that they asked me to be in a band, but I didn't have a lot of like great gear. You know, I had like a decent Marshall 412 and I had this like music man had an HD 130, which really is like a very clean head, but you can push it a certain way and it'll overdrive, but it's not exactly like a JCM 800 or a Mesa triple rec. Like it's not appropriate for hard for that style of hardcore music like maybe you know if you're in a band like fucking you know if you're in there's there's plenty of plenty of like avant-garde kind of newer like punk or hardcore bands that that would make sense for but if you're in a band that wants to have that 
tight kind of 2005 sound <laughs> that was not it you know i think i had i was playing like a modified 70s um very kurt cobain style fender mustang uh you know i actually had my my mustang modified to the same like kind of specs that he would use certain mods that he would do i i did to mine um and you know playing in a band like basically i remember showing up for practice the first time after agreeing to be in it and having you know this gear and learned learned of the songs and whatnot and you've you've done your podcast with jesse moscato and you know jesse and i had a lot of history through that band and and our first interactions was really like i could tell that he was like the veteran you know he was like in his 30s and he played in all these fucking cool buffalo hardcore bands and whatnot and he was a great drummer he was the 100 without question the best fucking drummer i'd ever worked with at that point and that was really working with jesse how i learned how to work with great drummers and i could tell through like our playing together and using my gear and whatnot that he just like wasn't super impressed because it just wasn't it wasn't hardcore you know what i mean like what i was playing so I was in college at FLCC at the time, and I had a lot of extra like student loan money. So I went out and bought a used Marshall, like 1988 Marshall JCM 800, because that's what fucking Natmo used in Marathon. So I was like, well, that's the head. Like, Why would I get any other head? That's the head. And that was back back then. I mean, I bought that head for eight hundred dollars, which is absurd. To to I mean, I sold mine for I I I did sell that head eventually um, before I moved to Florida to John from Such Gold for his studio, and I definitely did not sell it to him for eight hundred bucks. Um, and I bought from from Dave Raymond uh, of Demira and League and all that um, and Hidden Hospitals. I bought one of his. Um, gibson les paul studios and i was like hey is this enough you know am i hardcore now <laughs> is this cool we ended up being able to i learned i think we all learned a lot from from doing that band um it was the first time that i had made i guess really what i consider to be like a professional like real record i mean i did it with um her name is June. I mean, we went down to the Illuminata in Dansville, which was fucking Brian. What's his name from seven head division who had the other red booth, Brian, Brian from red booth, Brian Moore, Brian Moore. That was, you know, so that was pretty good, but you know, I, I really considered the first like real studio experience was working with Brian again, but at red booth this time uh, for, you know, for heavy hearted doing overcast. Um, so learned a lot in that experience. And it was the first time that we ever really went on. It was the first band that I ever really went on proper tour with, you know, we did, we had the van and we put the shit in the van and we played weeks worth of shows, three weeks, two weeks worth of shows up and down the East coast or whatever. Um, we got to tour with, I mean, I, I didn't even, I wasn't involved in any of the booking or any of the business of the band, but fuck man, we toured with Reign Supreme and Advent. <laughs> and I mean, like Advent was 
the fucking heaviest band I think I'd ever seen in my life at that time. I mean, they were like a very, like a Holy Terror style Christian hardcore band. If you get a chance, if you've never heard any of the records that they've done, um, <laughs> incredibly heavy. Um, you know, I don't really listen to lyrics so much as I listen to guitars and, you know, the music itself and really how the vocals play along with the music. I just don't really care if they're talking about, you know, the, the vengeance of God or whatever, but um, it's, it's the music that was important, but man, we, we, it was a real privilege to like, you know, yeah, I got to tour down to like Florida, remember like Panama city and back, um, you know, with both of those bands. So that was very, that was incredibly formative. Me being like a young, like 20 year old kid asking, Oh, you know, like the you know, a guitar player from like a professional, well-known hardcore band, like, Hey man, like my guitar is fucked up. Like, can I borrow your guitar for our set? And then being like, uh, I guess like, you know, and like thinking back today, if like, if it was the same situation, you know, to me, Hey man, can I borrow your fucking like $2,000 guitar? Like, no, <laughs> you know, like if I was this on 20 year old kid asking me on tour, I'd be like, nah, man, like, you know, you can't do that. You need to figure your shit out. <laughs> like, you know, you need to go up on stage with whatever piece of shit guitar you brought and figure it the fuck out, you know, but I didn't know. I was just like young and brash and kind of like didn't give a shit. So I just didn't know that was like not the right etiquette. Uh, hey man, can I, you know, my, my amps acting up. Can I borrow your fucking triple rec tonight with a hat, which has 47 knobs on it that I have no idea what any of them do. And then I, I, I touch all of them and fuck your tone up. <laughs> I did all that. And, you know, I learned my lessons even just being like, Oh fuck. Like, obviously this dude doesn't want me to play his head. And like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what this thing does <laughs> and I can't make it sound nearly as good as he does. That was a great band. That was a lot of fun. And I would not have been able to do there's, I think you could, you could definitely make the argument such gold would not have existed without heavy hearted, like without me having that experience, you know, and me meeting, um, Hubbard, you know, Devin Hubbard and playing in a band for him uh, with him, um, being able to harness, you know, that, that energy, that, that hardcore energy that we were, you know, that, that era of hardcore and put it towards, you know, this new like pop punk scene that we're, we were kind of watching emerge. And um, something I actually haven't even really touched on is the fact that if I'm not mistaken, pre heavy hearted Kyle Chapman and I had written a bunch of music in his basement. We would, leave high school or whatever the fuck when we were like 18 or nine, you know, 18 or so. And he'd drive me home in his little civic and we would just, he'd play drums and I'd play guitar and I kept my shit there. And like, Oh my God, you know, I kept my amp and cab and at least a guitar there. And we show up and just, we'd write hardcore songs. We'd write pop punk songs. We'd fucking listen to kid. Basically we would just like listen to kid dynamite and then like go to his house and write. And two of those, two of the songs that we, um, wrote together ended up being you know two what i consider very classic such gold songs that we like well four super bowls no rings i mean we wrote that in his basement and that song we like literally have played every fucking show that we've ever played we probably played that song 500 times you know i could play that song right we could all get up on stage right now and play that without having to rehearse it you know it's just that that's that song we had we knew what that 
we knew what kind of direction we wanted to go in. We knew what the energy we wanted to have was. Um, so I had these songs with Kyle. We had Devin Hubbard, who was interested in continuing kind of what we did with Heavy Hearted, but with, um, you know, this pop punk project or whatever. Um, we got Tim's, or sorry, uh, Kyle's cousin, Tim Heald, um, and started writing more shit in Kyle's basement. And then eventually somehow we started practicing at the old heavy hearted space, which made no sense because it was Brent's grandpa's place and Brent wasn't in the band, (laughs) but uh, I don't know. That's just how it was. And, you know, fucking Ben, uh, Ben, man, Ben played with Tim in a band called blunt force trauma who maybe played a handful of shows. Like I think I saw them once at Dublin underground. Um, He was, it was a cool melodic hardcore band. You know, Ben was doing vocals. Um, We had Ben come in and do a saves a day cover. He did you vandal, which we covered for a long time as a band. And then I think he did like whatever lyrics we had for four super bowls. And I think we're just like, yeah, man, cool. You want to be in the band? whatever the rest is history right there would you know there would not be such gold without heavy hearted because of all of that shit practicing in that space having access to you know songs that um you know kyle and i had previously worked on having uh the connection to kyle's cousin tim having hubbard in the band you know uh having the experience of doing the touring and being in like what i would consider to be a quote-unquote more professional touring band um you know we were able to have the knowledge i think collectively to put something that made sense together um eventually we had to kick you know kyle was playing drums because he was a founding member he had written the songs with me and he was the obvious choice to play drums eventually we did have to we had to kick him out because he (laughs) again this is so fucking long ago um trying to remember all the specifics and shit but um it just wasn't it wasn't happening it wasn't working out anymore and we realized that we realized that a lot of the material that we had was it was really fucking good that is basically what it comes down to like we were like this is this is we could actually do something with this like for the first time in our lives like you know we could we could really move forward with this and you know we just didn't feel that Kyle was going to make it work as a songwriting member and as a drummer. And that's when we brought on, we were able to find Devin Bentley who was in museums with Tom Bowman, you know? So uh, that again, all these bands have been so incestuous <laughs> and taking from each other over the years. So, you know, that's how we, we ended up, um, ended up getting Bentley um, and fucking the rest is whatever history or as they say so uh, yeah uh i think you've kind of referenced it a few times and i guess before we start talking about such gold more mm-hmm. or more than we already have i guess like when did you kind of start to realize that like playing music could be more of like if not a full-time thing like more of like a full-time gig you know what i mean i think it was because of heavy-hearted you know being able to realize that um okay we could have a record from a record label that gives a shit about us. Um, you know, I can be in, I can be in a band. I, I, that can do all these things, you know, 
Um, and to be fair, a lot of that was built on the back of what Mahoney had already done. Um, but there were songs on Overcast that I wrote or Jesse wrote. Um, you know, so I felt like I had more of my influence on that. Um, but yeah, seeing band touring with bands like Reign Supreme and Advent being like, it's kind of what I was talking about earlier, watching bands that are on the next level or the next two levels or whatever above from whatever you're doing, being like, okay, what I think I'm doing is working. This is what I can do right now at my ability. But I'm watching these bands who we're touring with and being like, fuck, man, that's what we should be doing. Like, that's how we should look and sound on stage. How do I do that? You know? And uh, we, we, you know, kind of able to gain thankfully gained that knowledge from from all that time what we spent doing that shit we were talking um, about the uh the more full-time thing but one thing i'm thinking of is yeah is, sorry no you're fine you mentioned the uh the blunt force trauma band before yeah. and i think this ties everything back together i'm gonna say i this is probably one of the drunkest nights of my life so i could be wrong but i'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that the dublin show you're talking about was a new year's eve show because uh i know ben's cousin is one of my one of my good friends jeremy fucking jeremy's birthday or some shit right exactly and and now where i'm going with this is polar bear club headline that show yes so yeah you've already mentioned like marathon being an influence on you like a few years prior but like how big of an oh yeah polar bear club like when you guys were first starting like such gold and whatnot you know what i mean yeah i mean massive that's a really good point i didn't even fucking get into that like (laughs) you know that was yeah, man, that was even even more so because, you know, uh, at that time of Polar Bear Club starting to come up. OK, Polar Bear Club and how we are like, you know, that was that was it, man, for me. Um, obviously, Marathon was still a band at the at that time um, when those bands were going on. You got, you know, how we are, Achilles, all that. Um, but that was like that was the golden age of as far as my era you know my at, at, at our at my age that was the golden age of rochester hardcore is watching those bands. so um we were so privileged to be able to like see polar bear club at such of their early stages the the fucking the demo era polar bear club which is was such great songs you know like you know very tamar off it's so interesting to, to i'm, I'm going to go on a brief thing just specifically about those bands but i never was around to see i was too young to get up to rochester to see the avram so i never saw the avram live but i but you know the last show was on youtube which is fucking so awesome to watch but i've learned i've listened to every everything i can come by with the avram so listening to the avram essentially turn into kind of tamaroff and tamaroff essentially kind of turn into the polar bear club um always been such a huge fan of like everything Jimmy has done, his, his lyrics, his vocals, everything. So being able to watch that band evolve and from the demo to the EP to the fucking first full length, and then become this like, you know, large touring entity. And yeah, 10 years ago in, um, well, one of the big, yeah. One of the biggest moments, uh, a touring with them, with balance and composure, being able to be like, fuck man, my band who is obsessed, you know, I'm obsessed with Polar Bear Club. I love these guys as people, you know, I mean, and I love their music and I get to go and fucking tour with them right now. Like, this is the best, you know, who, what more do you want? 
And then fucking going to Australia in 2012 and playing like five or six festivals. And every night, Polar Bear Club would, would play. And then we would fucking play. Like two bands from Rochester, New York would be playing on the same stage. It was just basically what they would do is they'd take the stage and they divide it into two. And, you know, so like uh, while Polar Bear Club was playing, we would be setting up and doing a line check, you know, and then as soon as PBC was done, we would start playing. I mean, what, how crazy is that? You know, two Rochester, New York bands are playing a festival where Metallica and Slayer are headlining in fucking Sydney, in Brisbane, in Melbourne, in Australia, you know, so nuts absolutely nuts um huge influence on us there's still i mean like i've never really sat down with a polar bear club record and tried to learn anything that they've written because it just you know who has the time <laughs> For, you know um i never really know what they're doing and i've always uh i want to say that they're like there's 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 definitely if you listen to our music there's there's polar bear club influence um I don't know how I would explain it or describe it, but just the, the fact that we were able to come up around the same time as that band. And also like, I've been able to watch those dudes play in their different respective bands over the years. Yeah. Like it's, it's maybe less so the band and more so like the, the musicians themselves have been the, the, you know, such a big influence how we are for sure when Kyle Chapman and I were in his basement writing, you know, we were doing this combination of we were, we were doing some, you know, we wrote four Super Bowls, no rings. And uh, you always know what's, yeah, you always know what's best, you know, two such gold songs, but we were also writing songs that were very reminiscent of like how we are stuff, just because like, that's what, you know, we were listening to. That's what we were exposed to. That's what we aspired to be those dudes playing in those bands like um and <laughs> ironically you know with the exception of polar bear club it's 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 cool that um in retrospect that i got to do a lot more than a lot of those guys in those bands ever did you know um that's not a humble brag <laughs> i don't want to make it seem like that i'm just to myself you know being somebody who was like always looked up to these guys these musicians and these bands and the music they were making how much that mean you know like just the way their music makes me feel and you know really wanting to be a part of that and being able to put together this band where years later we're touring the world and we're playing with our favorite bands and you know polar bear club being one of them i mean you know surpassing your influences you know like surpassing uh when the you know the it's a, a stupid way to put it but obviously like when the mentor becomes the teacher like that's how you see it like when you become the sensei <laughs> you know in some ways of like you know i hey I, I i i looked up to these bands and i got to fucking do what i feel like is more than they did as a as a band career-wise and maybe that, like that's cool to me um that's a big that's a big thing to me i take pride in that but uh, obviously as bands and musicians collectively we or excuse me not collectively but individually we do have different goals so you know my goal would have been you know i want to play music like 
polar bear club where they make people feel a certain way or you know um they inspire somebody to want to like they inspired me to want to keep touring and playing music right like if i got to do the same thing if if such you know such gold i've been told you know uh oh fucking i love you guys like you're my favorite guitar player uh you know i started this band because of you i fucking love this record you know it's very influential to me that's a huge thing for me because i got to say those same same things to like you know marathon guys and polar bear club guys and express that you know like bands that i was very heavily influenced by but um yeah i don't know i'm i digress but the, the point being like yeah being able to fulfill those all of those like childhood teenage punk rock dreams and um you know have have and even be a alongside those those big influences like polar bear club like doing those those shows those i remember specifically those shows in australia were just so fucking cool because we're hanging out with you know it's it just you, you make you're 12 literally you know on the other side of the planet and you're with people who grew up you know, in the same punk rock scene as you, um, is fucking crazy. So, um, yes, uh, <laughs> wrapping it up, uh, Polar club, huge, huge fucking influence on us. Um, I miss them. I got to see Jimmy perform, you know, at some point in the last two years, um, solo at the bug jar, you know, he did one or two Polar Bear Club songs. I mean, I've told them, I've seen, like, when I worked at Guitar Center, I told Jimmy, I said, hey, man, you just name an amount of money, literally, and I will make it happen for a, a headliner, like at Montage, you know, because I worked at Montage for a little while. But you just come up with a dollar amount and we'll do it, you know, like five grand. Sure. Because you know that fucking show is going to sell out, you know. I told him, I was like, I'm, I'm sorry you're yeah i think at one point i was like all right man well like whenever you stop you know or whatever you're being afraid of making money like you just <laughs> come call me you got you got my number you know where i am like i wanted to book them so fucking bad at montage because i knew they could make i knew they could sell out that club obviously like in 2019 you know you know everybody lives across the country and everybody's got wives and kids and you know i don't know what um Jimmy's situation with with his voices, you know, obviously I think that was a big, at least how I've heard it. And, you know, him and I are not exactly, you know, whatever. I'm not best friends. I don't fucking, I'm not his therapist. I don't know exactly all the reasons why Polar Bear Club stopped doing their thing. But I think, you know, from what I've heard, I think a lot of it was potentially because his his voice started failing him at some point. And I mean, yeah, if you listen back 20 years ago to the Avram and shit, like, yeah, well... <laughs> He's been doing that style of music with his voice for such a long time that at some point, yeah, you're probably going to, you know, lose it. You know, you're probably not going to be able to do that anymore. It's a bummer. Um, but also, hey, maybe those guys don't want to play that music anymore. They want, they didn't, you know, they, they were a band for a long time. They didn't want to uh, keep making it the priority in their lives, which I feel like is very much the such gold situation at this point. Right. You know, we're not making it a priority in our lives anymore. Uh, we all have other shit going on, but we still want to make it a, a, a part of our lives. just not the 
as as I've made it for such a long time up until very recently, the driving force, the thing that controls so much of your life. Um, so, you know, I hope to some, like if, if, if tomorrow you announced <laughs> Polar Bear Club, you know, Enterprise Hardcore presents a Polar Bear Club fucking show somewhere. I'll, I'll book tickets. I'll take off of work. I'll be there. Of course I'm going to be there. I wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, you know, so I, I hope that happens someday. It actually reminds me of uh, being 19, 20, yeah, 19, 18, 19 years old, living in Toronto. And the last How We Are show happened. Um, I was living in fucking Canada and I took a bus, a Greyhound bus from Toronto to Rochester and went back and stayed at my parents' house for the weekend for that show because there was no fucking way in the world that I was going to miss the last How We Are show. And, I, and you know, it got, if you, you know, anybody who remembers, it got moved from the AV space to that fucking garbage truck warehouse in Walworth, you know, and I remember being at home. Um, it probably got announced on the, the blackboard, right? The Rochester hardcore board. Um, I assumed that the move, but can you imagine that show even having happened at the AV space though? Right. That's where it was supposed to be. Right. Like what a shit show that would have been. I mean, it was still a, it was, it was fucking awesome, but I mean, what a nightmare that would have been at the AV space. Um, so, so, but I remember, yeah, I was at home and being like, fuck man. Like I, I came all this way to see the last show. This is, I'm, I can't come back again. And like next weekend or some shit, like, so I was really happy they figured it out and ended up doing it in that uh, in that warehouse. But that was the first time I ever saw Slingshot Dakota, you know, was in that. Uh, it was at the last How We Are show. And um, eventually over the years with Such Gold became incredible friends with fucking Tom and Carly from Slingshot and toured with them a lot. And anytime I was at a, I've been at a festival that they've been playing, I always go see those guys and, and say what's up there. I, you know, beautiful, incredible people. And um we always reminisce about that that how that last how we are showing how fucking crazy it was but yeah i digress that's that's uh that's a lot of hardcore history right there. that's a lot of rochester hardcore <laughs> history right there for sure i don't like i said we probably won't do a full deep dive on such gold because that would sure. take a few hours so I don't know we and we've done. already fucking yeah we've covered most of it yeah. really but um, one thing i'm curious about though and i think you kind of said it like was the band like pretty much a full time before COVID hit then or oh 100 so like yeah we really went we've been we were like what i would consider full time probably since at least Oh man, I'm so bad with I'm so bad with timelines specifically. But I mean, I can remember the moments. I just like, oh, it was July of 2010. Like, I don't fucking know. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't remember that specifically. But um, at some point, like post uh, Stand Tall, which was that first EP, maybe around um, pedestals. I, I don't know if pedestals have been out yet, but. I was still in college. I was going to FLCC for, uh, I was majoring in computer science, uh, you know, web development, fucking, you know, all kinds of coding and shit and network networking. It was like, it was a it was like networking web development. And the first year that I was in school, I fucking a plus student, you know, I was killing it, but the band was kind of happening a little bit, you know, like we were doing our little 
practice space thing. Like it was very candidate was centric. I was going to school. Practice was 10 minutes away. My house was five minutes away. It was very, very local. You know, hey, we had these songs. We had the band put together. We're starting to play shows. We're starting to know that people are interested. Uh, we're starting to make friends. We're starting to go play outside of Rochester. We're starting to notice people are interested outside of Rochester. We start getting into, you know, we, we put out the first EP. We're like, all right, you know, people are fucking stoked. We're touring a little bit more and, you know, we're, we're making it a thing. We're kind of making it more part of our lives. And then eventually, um, you know, we bought a van that uh, broke down right at like the, I mean, I'll never forget uh, the, like the New York, Massachusetts border. We were heading out to either, I think it was Holyoke, which is the Holyoke or Haverhill. It's one of those places outside of like, it was like central Massachusetts outside of like, Springfield or Chicopee or one of those. And we were on tour with Maker. It was like oldest, oldest friends of ours. Like we got in with them like really early, cool pop punk band at the time. There was great, you know, great fucking music coming out of Massachusetts at the time. Um, late night wars, Maker, and obviously transit like transit was like the fucking they were big like they transit had already been in a band for a while and like when kyle and i were writing such gold material their first ep let it out was already available and that was a big influence on us in fact but you know not to get off topic um we were on tour with maker we're heading out to more of their home turf to play with those guys and the van breaks down out and like new cannon new york there's like one gas station like if you if you've been you know at the end of new york state right before it turns into the mass pike there's you're heading towards boston there's a gas station on the right on the hill it's a sunoco station and there's one on the left as well and we stopped at that one on the right that sunoco and the fucking band broke down and wouldn't start it, you know so we called the maker dudes we're like hey you know, hey man, we got to get to this fucking show. What are we going to do? So it was only about an hour and a half away. They drove out, they picked us up, they grabbed our shit. You know, we left, we told the gas station, hey, our shit's broken down, but we're a band. We got a show to get to. We got to leave our shit here. You know, we're going to leave the van here. We're going to, we're going to roll it into a ditch or something, but we're leaving it here. We went and played that show and it was the fucking wildest show of our career at that point. You know, there's kids stage diving they're singing along i mean this is like classic massachusetts pop punk scene of like 2009 and 2010 so kids are going nuts and we're looking at each other i remember this is this is how i remember it like looking at each other like holy fuck man like this is it like we're doing it the thing that we wanted to do we're doing it (laughs) people care about what we're doing and i was in college and ben was at mcc that weekend i think we all looked at each other and said this is it, man. We need to do this. We need to do this full time. And I was already failing because the band had kind of started taking over shit. So I was like an A student. And then in my second year, the band kind of started doing shit. And I just, I couldn't keep up with that and school. And my dream was to play music, you know, so and tour the world and shit. So like, Obviously, I wasn't going to fucking keep doing networking and IT and stuff. So, like, one day I was at FLCC, and the next day I literally, like, 
never showed my face there again. <laughs> like I've still never been back there. I just ghosted the, the whole fucking place. And that was, you know, that show and that experience is what made us want to be full time. And that was probably, I, I want to guess 2010. So for about nine years, really, we were, we, I would say that we made it the priority. You know, that's, that's what I consider full time is like, we made the band the number one priority in our lives that essentially dictated all of our other moves. It dictated what kind of job that I could get is like, well, I need to be able to leave and go on tour. Right. So, and everybody kind of had, you know, that same mentality. Uh, but from, you know, 2014 to 2019, you know, we had a different lineup. So it was, uh, older people in the band and people with different responsibilities and whatnot. So we were still able to make it all work, but there was a period where I was like, Hey man, like I, I can't actually tour right now. I have to get a real job because uh, my wife is doing this and we don't have health insurance anymore and I need to get health insurance. So like I had to, I had to work. Um, so there were times where I just wasn't able to go on tour for like, uh, you know, several of the tours that we did, but the point being, yeah, we were, you know, uh, how I would, we were, you know, we were a fucking bank account, LLC, have a van, have a trailer. We got a merch store. We're fucking touring. We're putting out records, full-time band for, you know, at least not, you know, nine to 10 years or so. Um, COVID was the, final you know i don't it's not it wasn't a final nail in the coffin because there's still i mean there's a pile of nails really left <laughs> that would have to really nail the thing shut but um it was the thing that i think nailed the coffin shut of our it being the priority of our lives so i think uh, uh we weren't able to really have a full conversation about that i was i feel like i was the last holdout um personally uh, and I think I've expressed that to the band of like, you know, there's a point where it seems like maybe everybody else had kind of already made up their minds that it wasn't their priority anymore, anymore, just because of other things going on in their lives. But I was still like, the fuck that, you know, or whatever, like, this is it, you know, like, we're going to do it. We're going to fucking, we're going to get back to wherever we want to be or wherever we need to be. But, you know, so I made a lot of sacrifices to do that. And I think a lot of that did contribute to a lot of my unhappiness with living in Rochester and it uh, be because of the kind of jobs that I was working. And it also, you know, contributed to a lot of relationship issues. It's certainly a factor of why I'm not, you know, that the, why I ended up getting a divorce and, and whatnot, uh, just because we, you know, it, it, that was, you know, a big, uh, a lot of the sacrifice and the time and the, you know, the unhappiness of not being able to, be where I wanted to be career-wise and then also living, frankly, in a place where I hated living, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, um, I have a lot of love for Rochester, but I'll tell you what, when I look at fucking weather every day uh, here and then I look at it in Rochester, I say, boy, never again. So that actually kind of brings up a good point that I'm thinking about is you talking about all this traveling and ending up yeah. in Florida, like yeah. Were there ever other cities that you would have considered like moving to, or was, was Florida like the destination if you left here? I'm definitely like a big desert 
guy like so one my favorite thing about touring was going to the desert driving through the desert long drives sunset in the desert whatever just i just thought it was such a fascinating landscape just considering where we came from you know just a, a completely different world and so you know i think if i really had spent the time to consider like all right well i've decided to leave rochester where am i gonna go you know i could have gone to like i don't know uh fucking albuquerque or something or i could have gone to, gone to colorado springs and started a band with with devin bentley uh formerly of such gold who lives in colorado springs now but you know i don't i don't fucking know anybody there and I've been to, you know, New Mexico a lot and whatnot, but my family has been here in Tampa Bay for 25 years. You know, my grandmother and my grandfather came here 25 years ago and um, my grandfather's passed, but my grandmother's still here uh, living in the same retirement community she's lived in since they moved here. And my parents uh they left rochester well they never lived in rochester but canandaigua um you know 12 years ago or whatever and they lived in california for a while they lived in texas and then eventually a few years ago they settled here in the same retirement community that my grandmother lives in and my sister lives in maui uh and so i don't have a very large family and most of them and the rest of them are from for the rest of them are from the fredonia buffalo area my, my dad's side is all Fredonia Buffalo. So I have a lot of roots there. You know, not a very big family anymore. A lot of you know, everybody's fucking dead or moved away, right? At this point. So I never really considered anywhere else besides Tampa, you know, Tampa Bay, because I wanted to be closer to my family. My family wanted to be closer to me. And I've been coming here on vacation since I was a child. And then when I worked, um, when I worked for Sage Kieber for a while, uh, for a couple of years, I worked remote, you know, I worked a lot of times for my computer and I was making good money. So I would just book flights down to St. Pete and spend a few days with my family. And, you know, in the, in the warm weather, when it was, you know, snowing in Rochester, I'd come down here for a few days or whatever. And, I've just always loved this place. And I remember specifically being a kid and doing spring break here in like April, you know, or whatever. And 80 degrees every day here. And we'd go to the pool and I loved my grandparents and I loved spending time with them. We'd stay with them. And it was just, you know, I love the palm trees and the, the fucking weather, you know, whatever, like it's Florida, like, you know, you get it. So <laughs> you get the point. Um, and I'd go home and it would be 35 fucking degrees or 40 degrees and snowing or whatever. And it's the middle of April. And I'm just like, and I would cry. <laughs> I hated it. I fucking hated it. And I, I made a life for myself in Rochester for such a long time. I'm really happy that I got to do that. But when I left, it was the most appropriate time. And it was really about happiness. You know, it was about finding 
a new level of happiness. And the, the point being like with the entire thing, the whole move is that my baseline level of happiness is so much higher. You know, I love being in a warm climate. I don't want to shovel snow anymore. You know, I don't give a shit about seasons. I've had enough, <laughs> you know, like um, I'm so much, I'm so much fucking happier down here. And unfortunately we're full. Um, so there's no more New Yorkers that are allowed to come here. Um, I was the last one. So please don't come. You can come on vacation, but you can't move here. Um, those are the rules. Uh, but <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's, it's, um, it's been great. It's a bummer that I'm so far from my friends and, you know, I do miss, I miss everybody and I miss um, the Rochester hardcore scene and all that, but we get, yeah, man. I mean, I, Tampa, uh, St. Pete gets great shows. Um, Tampa gets more. It's kind of like, it's kind of sucks. It's kind of like driving to Buffalo. You know, it's kind of like being living in Rochester, but all the fucking shows are coming to Buffalo. You got to keep driving to Buffalo. That's kind of how it is here. Like the shows don't like the big stuff comes to St. Pete, this venue called Janice live. So I just saw hot water music and Avail, And that was fucking sick um, at Janice live in St. Pete, but there's no like small clubs in St. Pete. It's just like this big 2000 cap outdoor venue. All the good, like met, like the good metal and, and punk and hardcore, whatever, like, you know, 500, 1,000 cap rooms, they're all in Ybor City in Tampa. So, like, I just saw Drug Church and then, like, Taking Meds is going to be uh, there in a couple weeks. And Cali Cousins are going to be there in a couple weeks. Which So, I'm going to see, like, you know, tons of Rochester dudes soon. You're mentioning, like, gas stations and shit. I know you guys haven't done, like, a ton of touring recently, but, like... Yeah. The gas prices have to be affecting bands like a motherfucker right now, you would think, right? Yeah, I can only imagine. But simultaneously, like the cost of ticket prices has gone up, you know, uh, all around. So, I mean, like, I think I'm, I'm sure that promoters have already. Uh, OK, well, I guess it stems from. For most bands, if you're a DIY band, you're asking for anything right you're asking for a cut of the door so like the very bottom level right the diy not getting a guarantee level that's gonna you're gonna get hit the hardest you know not to mention the cost of a used vehicle you know i mean buying a used van used to spend maybe a thousand to two thousand bucks you know if you can get some half decent vehicle and run it into the ground and then go fucking buy another one i guess you know um we went through a lot of vans over the years. Um, so that's an issue because a van that really should only be worth a couple grand is now worth four grand, you know, just with that level of inflation. Then that van's going to take regular old gasoline and you're going to have to pay yeah, four bucks or more a gallon. I don't know. What are you guys paying in Rochester right now? I, the, the place I saw we drove by today, looked like it was like 430. So. All right. I mean, St. Pete, we're paying four bucks, which is kind of crazy because like usually it's like a dollar less than New York. Um, frankly, you know, is all the years I've been coming down here is always cheap gas down here. But Tampa is actually paying like fucking four sixty a gallon in some places, for which makes no sense. It's like sixty cents more a gallon, yeah. uh, even though we're just across the bridge. So, anyways, you know, yeah. So like if you're at the very 
lowest end. I mean, I can't, okay. So like, let's say like you're a, he- a heavy hearted or early such gold band trying to start out and just get your foot on the road. I mean, I don't know. I can't imagine trying to start from scratch these days, just with the, the inflated cost of everything. Um, it was more affordable then for sure, but we were still living in the, in where we were heavy hearted might've been like end of the Bush era. Uh, yeah. Like just at the end of the Bush era, like right around when Obama got elected. So gas was still kind of expensive then, man. I mean, I remember four bucks a gallon back when Bush was president, such, such gold doesn't own anything anymore really as far as like we had a van that we bought for the last van that we had actually it wasn't even the fucking last one (laughs) we had a van that we spent most of the career of the band in and we bought for like 10 grand it had like sixty thousand miles on it we put well over a hundred thousand miles on it in the time that we had it we drove it all over the fucking country so several times including canada and uh eventually the transmission died i traded it to a mechanic who had a van with it was older but it had uh pretty low miles on it that van we got and that was the last thing that we owned and we sold it to taking meds but no van no trailer anymore if we had to go out and buy oh i lost myself (laughs) if we had to go out and buy you know a used van and trailer right now you're looking at fucking 20 grand you know to get something half decent where the fuck are any of these like you got to be a band making a decent buck to to do that right now um (laughs) we're certainly not doing that you know i mean i can i mean if we went on tour i don't even what the fuck are we gonna do last time we went on tour we we rented a dodge caravan you know and just through what we needed and back. And if we needed to borrow cabs, we advanced when we advanced the show, we'd say, Hey, we're traveling in a minivan. We got a couple of guitars, a couple of heads, some drums and shit. We don't have any cabs. I think we have one. I think I had my 212 cab. You know, so we would just advance and say, Hey, we need one of the locals to give us a decent cab. You know what I mean? Like you got an orange cab, like that's part of the rider. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we you need to provide a couple of cabinets. And most remote promoters are fine with that. They figure it out. Yeah, I have no interest. I've I've owned so many vans and uh, driven vans as daily drivers and fixed, thrown thousands and thousands of fucking dollars into fixing vans. And I fixed, I actually learned how to do a lot of stuff myself because I got so sick of giving mechanics money that I would, you know, eventually figured out how to do all kinds of shit uh, on Ford vans specifically. Um, but man, I never want to own another van as long as I live, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fucking rent if possible. So that, that's, that's the only thing I can imagine a band really doing affording to do now is rent a vehicle, um, because it's just too prohibitively expensive to consider buying a used van at this point. So did you guys ever get, and you don't have to get into like specific numbers or anything if you don't want to, yeah. but like from all the labels you guys were on over the years, like was there any, any sort of like tour support or anything like that for any labels or anything? I don't think we had financial tour support. The only time that we ever got any money that, you know, was ours. Uh, we, we got like a 
publishing advance the two records that we did with Razor and Tie. So that would be Misadventures and the new Sidewalk. And, you know, we just took for Misadventures, we took that money and we put it in our pockets. It was like a couple of grand a piece that we made and we were able to, and we were fucking so broke at that point. You know, we were living, when we did that record, we were living in a motel, a shitty motel in, in Long Beach, California, off the, off the Pacific Coast Highway. It was about 15 minutes from the studio every day. We were just like living in two different shithole rooms every day and, you know, had barely enough money to survive and barely enough money to buy weed and, you know, <laughs> like all that. So that publishing advance, we had a good old time with that, man. You know, that was really helpful for us to, to be, you know, sustain ourselves. But the key word being, you know, advance, this was not free money. So technically for those two records, like uh, Razor and Tie doesn't even own the rights to them. It's now like Concord Music Group owns the rights to them. It's like a large scale distribution company. And I think we still technically owe them like $30,000 or something as far as like recuperation costs for the, for the production of those records, including uh, publishing advances. So when we signed to Razor and Tie, they had a publishing division. So publishing meaning like, okay, uh, when you listen to songs that are on Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, you know, or whatever, like, those songs were uh, sold, you know, the rights to publish those songs in that media was sold for a fee, um, you know, to fucking, you know, uh, Activision or whatever. So anytime you hear a song in a commercial or whatever, you know, there's, there's somebody's paying for the rights to use that. It's the publishing rights. So with Razor and Tie having that publishing division, they had publishing advances because they generally assumed that whatever bands that they were signing, they were going to spend a lot of time publishing their music and getting placement in movies, TV, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it was, video games, stuff like that. So they would give us an advance on that. Well, our fucking songs never got any <laughs> publishing anywhere. So, you know, we took all that money, but, you, you still owe it to the label technically. So we've never made a fucking dime on either of those records really other than, you know, we would purchase uh, vinyl and CDs from them wholesale and then sell them live and we would sell them for double wholesale. So we would make a profit on that. But like when you listen to anything from Misadventures or the new Sidewalk on Spotify or Apple Music, we are never, probably ever, ever, ever going to see a dime of that ever because it's going to take forever for that to recoup. So somebody would have to come along with, you know, $30,000 and offer it to Concord to get the rights back for those records. Yeah, um, that's a whole other fucking issue, <laughs> but, it, but it pretty much covers yeah. uh, my feelings on that. You know, that that's the that's the nuts and bolts of that what do you guys just do like mini tours like when you get like good offers type thing at this point like festivals and stuff or yeah i mean so kind of what i was saying earlier is that we had all of that kind of shit in place pre-covid but then covid happened and it all went out the window so we didn't do fucking anything for 
up until we played Fest in Gainesville, Florida, last year. We played a show right before Fest in Cape Coral, which is two hours south of here. Right now, we have we have not played a single show in 2022. We have nothing officially on the books for 2022 as far as shows. Um, certainly, we are working on trying to get on Fest again for obvious reasons. You know, fucking A, I'm already here, you know, and B, we always play Fest if possible. Tony uh, has always been super good to us. Um, he loves us. He puts us on all the time. We are we are a Fest band. I am very proud to say that. So um, I'm really hoping that we get on again and we really need to this year because we are going to have a fucking new record out. Other than that, man, like it's just we don't have a booking agent. Because Sarah, this is what I was getting into earlier, but Sarah um, eventually left the music industry. We did have some shit on the books for spring. Um, we were booked on Pooza Fest in Montreal, but without a booking agent to book shows around the festival itself, it makes it, it, financially it doesn't make any sense to do it so we're we canceled um you know they were offering us like a few hundred dollars and like for me to fly to new york you know and then rent a vehicle for the band and you know you're talking about a thousand dollars minimum for us to play a a show like that it's just not going to work we had a couple things booked in the uk and europe and germany but again why the you know, we don't have the fucking money. Um, we do have a booking agent over there, but why the fuck would we go to Europe without a new record? You know, like at this point, we thought we were going to have a new record by this time and we would have done that. We don't have it. So what the fuck? We don't. And yeah, so we're not going to Europe. We do have a manager, thankfully now, who is helping us. I mean, he's not like full time, but he's a, he's a, of a band of four people, he's the fifth party. He's the fifth person. So when we need something, uh, when we need to bounce ideas off of somebody, or we need a, 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 another opinion, or we need somebody to make the official email for this and that and the other, we send it to him. And so we've had to kind of do that for these shows and be like, hey, man, you know, I think we all can agree we can't fucking play these festivals because of this and that reason and all that. And, uh, we're going to need you to send the official email because it looks better coming from a manager than like some asshole in the band. We're really not at liberty to be like doing anything until this record is done. But um, I was, we were all together this year in February. I flew up there and everybody got together and we <clears throat> worked on a, we recorded a ton of shit and I've got, we've started finally getting, so John, our bass player, and, and he's a, you know, great producer. He's, we're doing everything ourselves. Um, but, you know, John is doing big shit. Um, he's a big fucking deal right now. So we're very proud to continue working with him. And we're <laughs> proud to call him my friend and proud that he's, you know, um, making our record. And uh, so we really have done a big push to, make sure that like these next couple sessions that we end up doing is like really the final um, sessions to, to get this record out because we obviously know that we can't book or do 
fucking anything until this record is done. So with, you know, all hope in place, uh, Dutch Gold will have a full length out in 2022. <laughs> so hopefully by fest. Um, but literally until then, no, nothing booked, nothing planned. Yeah, I just, it doesn't make any sense, you know. We kind of got to, you have to have leverage, you know, you have to leverage to do that. You have to have a record out that has, that people are listening to, people are talking about, and people have hype and you have to generate that want. You got to generate the want within the market for somebody to actually come and pay fucking money to book your band. And then subsequently somebody else paying money to see your band. We don't really have that right now. You know, we don't have that at all. Like we have a name and like a history. Uh, we're one of the only bands like left uh, of that era that we came up in, but we're not doing anything, you know? So, you know, you got to generate that shit. So without that new record, um, <laughs> we don't have much other than the, the legacy material, which we are all sick of fucking spending our time playing. So yeah, we're not going to do shit as far as I'm concerned until it's going to be like, you know, mostly new stuff on stage. So um, maybe 2022 is another year of just kind of chilling the fuck out. Like maybe we put this record out, we do a festival here and there around it and we see what we're able to generate marketing and hype wise. And then maybe 2023, we end up doing more shit. I don't know. But again, with it not being like the big priority in our lives anymore, it's just it's not something I'm losing sleep over anymore. Like I was, <laughs> I used to lose a lot of sleep over thinking about what the future of this band is. It's just like, man, I don't know. It's not my fucking life anymore. You know, it's not, it's not the, it's not the thing that controls my life anymore. So I'm not, uh, I'm thankfully not losing sleep over it. So I hope to play a lot more shows because I, I obviously love doing it. And the time that I got to spend with, the rest of the band in February when we were all together doing the record it was so much fun. I mean, they're my best fucking friends in the entire world. You know, we have so much in common and we just, we love spending time with each other and it just, it's all so natural and, and it's hard too, man. I don't have a, you know, I got friends down here, fucking Vic, Vic Alvarez, you know, lives down here. Uh, if you remember him, you know, ghost tales and shit, um, timeshares and, you know, Vic and I are still good friends and, um, He's, he's introduced me to a lot of people down here and uh, a lot of cool bands here that he's associated with. So I've been able to make some good friends, but I don't have a whole lot of friends here. <laughs> so being able to fucking spend time with my guys, uh, that's, that's what I look forward to the most. And I really hope that we get to do more of that. So I know like you mentioned Ben being and taking meds and like you were doing yeah. what we carry for a while. Like, do you ever think about like doing any other projects in Florida or anything? I would love to. I mean, I have tons of stuff set aside. Um, you know, obviously, I, yeah, like I did Wait We Carry. And I know we sucks. We haven't really talked about that at all. And I would like to, but I, you know, obviously we don't have, we don't want to make this a fucking four hour thing. <laughs> so, you know, I will, I, I do want to mention that, that I love playing in the Wait We Carry. It was a fucking ton of fun. Those guys really are like some of my best friends in the world too. Um, you know, I am bummed that we didn't do more with that band as far as like playing outside of Rochester, because I think we could have, um, but everybody's a fucking grown ass adult. So we weren't really able to do that. I'm really proud and happy with 
all the material, the two EPs that we were able to do together. And I'm really happy that Jordan Foner has taken my place in the band because he's one of my best friends. And that's a fucking absolute perfect fit. This is why I was talking about weight we carry was that I do have some material like set aside that would be appropriate for like a hardcore band. I had, I, I did play in who decides for a hot minute, which is Skylar from taking meds and such gold, Joel from Drew's Ryan from Drew's Ben Coton, you know, from meds and such gold. It was a fucking beautiful super group. And I loved uh, the time that we were able to do. We never played a show together. I don't think, but uh that was cool i wrote a lot of stuff for that band that we did a little bit with like we experimented with but you know isn't gonna i don't think it's not gonna be on any official release or whatever they're you know i don't think they ever took any of my material to move forward with so i got some shit that i could do down here um i definitely have a couple people that i could you know through vic and his uh you know uh, kind of the network that we that we have here um Certainly I could put together a, a hardcore band, but the biggest issue is the time, man. I don't fucking have, I, I don't have time. I mostly work evenings. So it's a bummer because I do want to play music down here and I know I could put something together, but it's kind of the way with work and just the way um, my career is going. Um it just doesn't seem viable. So yeah, it's a bummer, but um, it's, I've made playing music and performing in bands and all that such a priority in my life for such a long time that this move for me has been, um, you know, really an experiment in how do I not (laughs) make, you know, how do I, makes other shit the priority in my life instead so uh as much as i would love to do it yeah like right now it just doesn't seem it's not in the cards just because uh you know shit's expensive man i'm actually really lucky that um the rent at our place is very affordable considering what rent is like locally here currently it's a it's actually a big issue um but yeah, you know, man, we, yeah, it's, you know, um, uh, not a two income household anymore. Really, you know, I was married for a long time and that was a, you know, joint bank account. So things are a little different. You know, we, I didn't have to work as much or work as hard. Um, but now, you know, I'm supporting myself. So I got to work fucking six days a week. <laughs> so uh, it's a new thing. Uh, and it just means that I have to sacrifice and not, you know, I don't have a day a week, an, an evening a week, uh, really to go to band practice. You know, the only day I could do that is Sunday. And Sundays are the only day that my girlfriend and I both have off. It's the only day we get to spend together. So um, I don't think she would appreciate it if I hung out for four hours with my band um (laughs) every sunday so um i really do hope to make it something that i can do in the future if i'm able to get a job that pays well that i can work more what we recognize as regular hours but currently that is just not on the table it's not it's not up uh it's not going to be an option so it's all right i'll live
I'm not sure where we are after editing, Mark, but I feel like we're at about the two hour mark, like you kind of referenced before. So, yeah, um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff we could have touched on more and some things we didn't touch on at all. So maybe, you know, in six months or a year, we will try and do like a part two because like we barely touched on weight we carry. We haven't really talked about Holy War. And I'm oh, sure yeah. Million, Jesus. I'm sure there's a million more such gold stories. And I can think of like like 10 other questions yeah. that would probably make the interview another hour and a half just with those questions so and that would be cool and i would i would like that but um there's not much more we can get into today i think yeah so that's what i'm getting at though i guess if there's anything like that we missed for now or anything that you want to plug or anything or any shout outs before i start wrapping up um i think as far as like yeah i mean we definitely got to (laughs) all the shit you know um I wanted to talk about, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, it's very hard because there's a, a lot of the things that we started with early was so much stuff I haven't really thought about in such a long time, you know, um, and I'm sure you get maybe the same thing with a lot of other dudes in this position of like, oh man, fucking how long ago is it? 15 years ago. It just it doesn't feel like that, but then you have to dig around in your memory of like, find the specifics when. I mean, I, 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 obviously I knew that we were doing this interview, but I haven't had time to fucking sit around thinking about the past, you know, so much when I'm so engaged in the present. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to do on the spot. Um, but I'm hoping that we covered a lot of, uh, things that are, I don't know. I, I think my story is interesting. So I'm hoping that other people find it interesting, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting to me because it's mine, you know? Um, and I know that I did a lot of fucking rambling and, um, you know, tangents and stuff like that kind of getting to the point, but yeah, you know, I was really happy to be a big, I felt like I had a great, um, place in the Rochester music scene or the Rochester hardcore scene in terms of, I was, I'm just happy that I was there for everything. And I got to see, all the cool shit. And then um, I tried my best to really be a part of it in certain ways. And then especially with such gold and especially with weight, we carry and heavy hearted, you know, got to participate so much more that I ever, than I ever thought I would when I was younger. So, you know, I miss being a part of that is like more of like an everyday kind of thing, you know, really being um going to the bug jar every fucking weekend and you know or being putting putting together hardcore shows with paulie and stuff or whatever like helping him with hardcore for the homeless and things and um we we were really pre-covid trying hard to you know do more with rochester hardcore you know we thought that we could put together more shows together and start more bands and we just needed more bands and more shows and the scene would really fucking come back and flourish and it does seem like there's right now like a lot of cool bands and and uh things happening there and i i'm happy to even from 1500 miles away kind of keep my eye and on things and hopefully have my finger on the pulse of what's happening up there obviously like shout out to wait we carry and whatever they do next um i know you know you know so jordan took over for me and again i like i said it's a perfect fit um great musician he's got his studio he's got he's a gear hound you know i mean he's definitely a contemporary of mine you know and um 
he's going to be a great fit for that band. So I, I'm really excited to see what they do moving forward. I mean, I loved everything he did with reps for Christ's sake. So um, that will be really cool to see musically what direction they end up in fucking taking meds. You know, I mean, they're, they've been doing big shit. Um, they're on a cool tour. They'll be here May 2nd. I think they'll be here like next week. So I'll get to see those dudes again, which I'm really excited about. Um, like I said earlier, California cousins are going to be down here. They got a new record they're going to put out. I'm really excited to hear that. I don't know. Am I missing anybody? Anybody else in Rochester doing anything cool that I give a shit about? I don't remember. But you know, uh, I think yeah, there's a couple other fucking cool bands I gotta hear some new stuff from. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got there's great bands. Oh, Carpool, obviously, fucking love Carpool there's great bands that I really hope that they just keep fucking doing it. You know, as hard as it is to do in this day and age, post COVID inflation, gas prices, this and that, and the other fucking thing. Like, um, I just hope that they can push through it to fulfill whatever fucking cool goals they're trying to fulfill, you know, whether it's just, Oh, I just want to, I just want to play music. I don't give a shit about anything else, or I want to be the biggest band in the world, <laughs> you know, like whatever their goals are, I hope that they meet them. Um, you know, Rochester has always been a great, creative, interesting city. Um, the weather is conducive to sitting at home alone and writing music and, and, you know, occupying your time um, during the cold weather and shit. So uh yeah, always a great arts community, and I think that it's it's only going to get better. Um, so I'm always excited to to see what um, what comes next. But um, you know, I miss shopping at Needle Drop. I love you know going in and fucking chatting with Russ and giving him my money and shit. So I miss doing that. But I've I've already made friends with a couple of record store guys down here. So uh, <laughs> you know, so like they know me well enough at this point. They. I, they uh, they know where their bread is buttered. Yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see. Uh, I'll be back in Rochester in October, and I'm probably not before then, just because of my schedule and everything else. So, very interested to see just what things are like up there. Then, you know, I do I do miss parts of it, but um, you know, man, I'm not that much. <laughs> I don't miss it that much. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, shout out, shout out to Rochester. Yeah, I, I, uh, I felt. I think it's it, it's worth mentioning that with one of the, I have the you know obviously the utmost respect for that that place and um, it's so so much of living there and being a part of the scene has been incredibly formative to me. Um, but you know, for such a long time, I did feel really stuck you know, just kind of like I didn't have a choice, but to live there. I think it's worth mentioning that I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy that I'm not stuck anymore. You know, I think I'm, I'm in a much different place in my life, a much better place because I don't have that kind of weighing over me anymore. You know, um, I, I thought I would fucking live and die there. Um, which is not such a bad thing. There's certainly worse places, but, um, you know, at some point I think it's, it's not, good to you know if you have if you really i had the choice finally to 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 do something else and i'm really glad that i took it because um i think i would have my life as it stands right now in 2022 
is so much better than I think it would have been if um, I had stayed when uh, like my divorce happened. Um, you know, and I don't think it has anything to do with the city so much. It's more as like the environment of I would have, you know, probably uh, taken care of myself a lot less. I think I would be in a, I think, you know, I'm, I'm on a very positive upward path right now. And I have been for, for quite a while um, since I've been down here. And I think I, the opposite, I think I would have gotten a lot worse. I think more depression, I would have started smoking again, drinking heavy, you know, gaining weight, you know, <laughs> eating bad. Like, I think I just would have been in a much worse uh, place. So um, I don't blame <laughs> Rochester for that, but, you know, um, certainly a change of environment has been able to make it easier to find like a, a more like of a base layer of happiness and as such um, make improvements to my life. So, you know, I'm stoked to, to be down here and I'm stoked that I still have great roots and connections in Rochester. Um, you know, I, I look fondly on all the past and all that, but um, you know, I can't see myself <laughs> as a, yeah. I don't ever want to live there again <laughs> is the only way I can put it, you know? Yeah, man. Love, hate relationship. And I think a lot of people have that um, with any place in like that kind of climate that we grew up in. So some people love it, man. They love the seasons. They love the cold weather and all that, but fuck man, not for me. I'm good. Yeah. I'm certain. I'm certain there's more that we could talk about in the future. And I definitely would looking forward to it. Cause I love, uh, talking way too much and just waxing on stupid bullshit as we have done uh, most of tonight. So if anybody wants to listen, I'm here. So <laughs> I got a lot to say. So. Yeah. We'll have to, like I said, we'll work on doing a part two eventually. Yeah. I appreciate you doing the interview, man. And um, yeah, I think that's going to wrap up the episode then. Beautiful. Um, so I guess it wraps up episode 76. Like I said, thanks to Nate for doing the interview. Uh, as always, shout out to Greg Benoit, Rob Antonucci, and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast, uh, as well as all the Patreon supporters. Uh, just make sure you check out social media for upcoming episodes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, see everyone real soon, and stay safe. Party.